This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the Wharton School in San Francisco, this is Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Rob Connebeer. Hello and welcome to Launchpad on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host this week, Rob Connebeer. I'm broadcasting live from Wharton's San Francisco campus. I'm a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures, a leading venture capital firm based out in the Silicon Valley Bay Area, where we focus on investing in early stage companies. So we have two guests coming up today that I'm really excited to talk to. We start off with Indu Navar. She's a serial entrepreneur a veteran out here in Silicon Valley, an investor and strategic advisor to startups. She's currently the co-founder of data community Geekly and the consulting company Zendota. And before that, she was very early at some of the Silicon Valley startup stalwarts, such as Silicon Graphics and WebMD. And then after that, we'll talk with Chris Sakalakis. He's the CEO of wine marketplace Vivino, and interestingly, the former president of StubHub. But now I'm thrilled to welcome to the show my first guest, Indu Navar. Indu, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. No, exciting to have you. You have been leading and building software companies for 20 years. You've been focusing on the cloud with your community, Geekly, which we're going to talk about a little bit, your consulting companies in Dota, and you got your start at NASA, and we're a founding team member of WebMD. Uh, you've got this amazing background, but would love to start with what you're working on now. Could could you share what Geekly is about? Yes. Um, so what, what I realized about Geekly before I uh, put together Geekly was, you know, there is a bunch of people in the Bay Area or a group of people who actually know what's going to happen in, when we say cloud, um, we really mean all of the AI, you know, IoT, all of the new technology. And I feel the rest of the world is just have no idea about all these new innovation that's going on. And all of these things are in ideas in people's head. They don't blog. They don't tweet. I mean, these are, you know, 90% of the people that I knew. So I figured I'm going to put Geekly together. It's a blogging site with um, experts, what we call experts. And they share the topics they're interested in. Um, so a lot of the topics you see um, are about, you know, What's going to happen? What what do they see as the future innovation? So it's it's really a community of uh, what we call cloud professionals, really focused on innovative technologies. So when you say experts, do you mean people that are familiar with this thing that you called IoT? Yeah. So and ex- they share what this acronym is that a lot of people might not be familiar with. Yeah, it's it's more than the acronym. It's about what's going to happen in the IoT space. You know, what, what what are the technologies? What would happen in the medical field with IoT as a, you know, vertical? So it's really the experts are usually um, entrepreneurs, usually the CEOs of startups, and really in the uh, forefront of innovation. And when you say IoT, I assume you mean the Internet of Things. Of things. Sorry, yes, Internet of Things. That we're familiar with. Yes. So when people are thinking about the Internet going from – mainframes to PCs to laptops to smartphones to toasters and absolutely everything that has electronics in it. Correct. Helping people see what that future looks like, providing a platform for experts in that area to share that future with other people. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So to a certain extent, it sounds like the name is kind of aspirational. Yes. Geekly. Yes. And is it what? G-E-E-K dot L-Y? Correct. What do people see when they go to the site? Uh, what do they land on? They so, go to Geekly, yeah, yeah geek.ly. So, so I figured, you know, um, I wanted to do like a Hollywood kind of, you know, these these are geeks. I mean, geeks are today celebrated. They are changing the world. So if you really go to Geek Geekly, you will see photos of people. So when we publish an article, we have half a page. It's like, you know, cover page, right, um, yeah, um, of their photo, which is all black and white because everybody looks good in black and white. So, and we've got, you know, we, we actually go and send a photographer. So we have great photos of them. So we really celebrate geeks. We celebrate geek experts. Um, I, we believe that these are the, you know, these are the people that actually are making a big difference in the world today. So, um, we have great profile pictures of them and we really put them in a light of people as opposed to not a byline of some articles that was published. And 
who's your favorite expert or who's maybe put <laughs> differently? I'm going to be more quantitative around this. Who's the most widely read or posted or reposted expert in the Geekly community oh my today? God. Um, Not necessarily your favorite. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot. You know, there there are a lot of them. It's it's really interesting. Uh, Tom Burquist, for example, he's now the CFO at Tipco, but he wrote about you know he's been um, covering the software space forever, and he talks about how he's covered the market in software evolution from mainframe to SaaS to now. He says you know the whole new technologies. It's not just the market; it's also what it disrupts. For example, Uber. It also disrupted not just the you know. Um, marketplace for people to meet. It also disrupted rental market, you know, the car rental market. And then, you know, you then you take on in the secondary and third, third ter- tertiary market disruption. So he talked about, again, I'm going to go to IoT. So he writes about this he on writes Geekly. About it. He okay. writes about it geekly. And um, again, IoT is not the only thing we cover, but it so happens this is another example. Uh, Internet of Things is something that he covered uh, about, you know, the how it's going int- it to disrupt not just, oh, we're going to put this and these devices are going to be now Internet and let's go toasters and it's only toaster market. No, it's not. It's going to just disrupt. There is a secondary, thirdary, you know, a tertiary effect. And... Um, there's another person who was actually at ServiceNow. He was an executive at ServiceNow, and he did some posting, and he quit ServiceNow, and he started a, um IoT and commercial business. And he called me, and he said, you know, I found his article so informative, and can I actually touch base with him, and can I have him as an advisor to my company? I'm like, sure. So there's a lot of things that happen within the network, and might be – I can't say that it was a widely um, – distributed, but I also see effects of it. Uh, there's a lot of calls I get within the community to say, hey, you know, I found this very interesting. Can I connect and we have a shared vision? So there's a word that gets thrown around a lot in software in Silicon Valley and maybe even the world. It's called the cloud. Yeah. What What is the cloud <laughs> for an ordinary yes. person? What is the cloud? I mean, cloud is really something, you know, People don't have to worry about, and it's not, you know, like, for example, um, Gmail. Nobody has to worry about where the server is and who is taking care of it. And, you know, it's just there. You can log in. You It seamlessly works, right? I mean, you can go back to, you know, how the water system works in our house or in PG&E. We, we don't worry about it at all. If there's a meter, there is water coming. Really, it's the next cloud. It's like a utility. Is, it's a utility. It's there. It, it doesn't is. go out. Cloud is a utility for all of the compute and storage that we need. And uh, as we are, you know, all as we are computing a lot more and storing a lot more, I would say cloud is a seamless utility that we use um, for those operations. And and when you think about what's happened at a really high level, you had big enterprises that would have their own data centers, Correct. right? And they would own their own servers and they would use it internally. Right. And it's been this decade-long or almost two-decade-long transition where these enterprises have said, you know what, we're willing to outsource that and send it up to this cloud that you're talking about and let other people run those operations for us. Right, right. And, you know, um, very good point, because when I started Cirrus, which I know you'll come to my background, um, after Healthy on WebMD, um, um, just as, a, you know, I'm going to jump here. I know you wanted to talk about the background, but um, at Healthy on, we started Healthy on by, you know, having a big data center. Uh, we said, hey, let's go build this kind of a seamless um you know, internet experience for the healthcare industry. And every person should have their personal data, uh, their medical record data available uh, available for them. And this was a 1996 vision. Too early, people were like, what are you talking about, right? Um, internet, so we had a big data center at Healthion. And, you so know, you saw was, the future, but that, a lot of people were like, what is that? Yeah, yeah. And people would come and say, well, wait, you know, my insurance data is next to the other insurance data. I don't want them to be in the same rack. We're like, but that's data. You don't, you know. So there was a lot of understanding about um, how does the data center. And so we had to show people the data center and where it's stored. Um, we came from that. And when I started Cirrus after Healthy On when IPO, I said, why are we sending CDs for software? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. So that's when we started as this a This is Cirrus 
Not to be confused with Sirius. Yes. It's S-E-R-U-S? It's S-E-R-U-S, yes, Sirius. It means the cloud. It's supposed to be Sirius cloud with the wrong spelling because we needed a... what five letter domain at that point? So right, the four letter ones were taken. Yeah, but you exactly. Could get five, five letter. So I was kind of thinking about the clouds. So this is one of your real inspirations when you started Cirrus was around this transition to the cloud. Correct. And maybe why don't we jump into that? Yeah. Talk about the founding of Cirrus. You've been at these other companies. We'll chat about a little later. Yeah. But what prompted you to strike out on your own? Found something? Run something? And what and, was that lightning and, bolt from the cloud? So um, I would say um, the lightning bolt probably happened when I was younger. Um, I, my dad was an entrepreneur, and I've seen my parents, you know, kind of being in the entrepreneurial journey. And I, I always envisioned myself starting something, 10, 12 years old. That was my dream. So when I started at Healthion, um, um, I knew I'm going to go strike out on my own, but this was the time for me to learn things I don't know. Um, so when I, when we went IPO, um, in 1999, um, I did say, you know, I'll, I'll spend a few months after the IPO and then I'm going to start looking for, um, what I'm going to do next. And then that was the birth of Cirrus. Uh, it so happened was January, 2001, but we'll come to that, the whole recession after that. But, um, so the whole goal was, you know, I've seen this whole data center transformation with healthcare and, um, it was hard. People didn't understand uh, healthcare, and um, at that time, I wanted to do something with putting people's, you know, before the Yahoo store was there, like the boutique store could actually sell online. This was in '99. When I started doing research and talking to people, um, online e-commerce companies, I realized they have no idea where the inventory is, and so. And then I said, you know, let me. It's go not talk just to- selling it; it's actually getting it to people. Exactly, and it's the back end and. As I'm a data person and a process person, that was very attractive. And I started talking to, and I'm an engineer, electrical engineer. So um, I started talking to Cisco's of the world. And, you know, I said, how do you guys manage? And they said, Excel spreadsheet. I'm like, wait, you have spent $200 million on your ERP and you're still doing Excel spreadsheet. And they said, yes, that's because we've outsourced all our manufacturing. And then, you know, everybody's day and night and different time zones, and they all send different Excel spreadsheets. We put it all together, and you have a team of six people putting it all together to figure out what is happening. I said, what if we do it automated? They said, oh, that would be great. So I got quarter million dollars from Quantum Corporation as my first customer, and we were still in the dining room um, with three people unpaid three people writing the code, including me. So I wrote our first version of our product. Um, Of course, it was uh, a demo version. So we showed it to Quantum Corporation with their demo data. And And this is in 2001? 2001. So I would say we weren't even incorporated. I just wanted to see, you know, how people would react to true internet, true SaaS model. And this is what we sold them. Look, you don't have to worry We'll collect all the data. It'll be online. It'll be on the dashboard. All you have to do is come in the morning. You will see it, and you know we'll have some business rules. Well, let's dig into this for a moment. If you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Connybeer, and you're listening to Launchpad on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm here in the studio right now with startup veteran, serial entrepreneur, Indu Navar. She's an active investor and strategic advisor to startups out here, and we're hearing about how she started her first company after being at some very interesting startups before that. So you mentioned something that seemed really interesting to me and old school in some ways, which is you lined up a $250,000 advance cash order from Quantum for a product that that it sounds like didn't exist yet. Yes. Is that fair to say? Yes. How does that work? Like, so, well, <laughs> and how many was, people were in the company at that well, point? Um, well, that was a challenge I took on with my first angel investor, actually. Um, his name is Ron John Nog. Uh, he's a very successful entrepreneur and uh, investor. He was my first investor in Cirrus, um, a dear friend now. Um, so he, you know, he and I were chatting, and I said, you know, I really want to do this because I think I what I don't want to do is go into a market that not ready yet. Um, and because I had a vision of trying to do something in the software space because I was really wanted to do an enterprise software, but at the same time, don't want to be 
in the old school of you know releasing and uh, why are people doing this it's want to fix like, some of it yeah fix some of it and and why don't we just provide them a solution right i mean instead of selling uh selling these different components and they get these consultants to put it all together it just didn't make Let's any sense to me it somehow yeah, yeah. So, um, and very so, quickly, was he an investor at this point? No, he was not. Okay. So we but an just advisor. Chat. Yeah. I knew investor. he would, I, I knew he would invest. Huh? So he, he said, you know, you get me a PO of any dollar. I'll put some I'll, money in. I'll, 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 the check is yours. Okay. All right. And I said, deal. And okay. I said, I don't want your check until I have the money. So, so, so how'd you cook up with Quantum Corporation then? Well, you know, uh, long story. I had this thing of, you know, I will go at least to three events a week. And I have to make at least two important people every event I go Three to. Three networking events. Three networking These events. These will be like evening social things, meetups, evening, yeah, the exactly. equivalent meet of that. Meetups, exactly. Okay. So do you I, go to Thai, stuff like that? Yeah, I the did. Indus Entrepreneur, yeah, the and Indian networking Silicon Valley forums and all these, you know, all these e events, right? So I would go to three. And, and they can be grueling because they can go on for two or three hours. Yeah, and after and a, the interesting thing is after I get two important, two important uh, cards, I leave because it's, it can be draining. It's not for social. It's really very, very focused on I have to get two business cards. So you do that for three nights a week minimum? Minimum. Okay. And one of the events I went to, you know, I turned up late. So there were very few people left. And, you know, this is one of the stories if you never know what happens. Um, I got one card. You know, he was kind of an investor guy. And, okay, you know, I'm not ready for it. <laughs> and there was another woman who was actually doing a company. She was pregnant, and she said she's doing a apparel for um, pregnant women. I said, interesting. I said, I need to get something. You know, I don't have anybody else here. I need to get her card. But I'm like, so I was interested. I said, what did you do before that? She said, well, I, you know, we went back. And I said, look, I'll tell you what I want. And tell me how you can help me. And so I told her, you know, I'm looking for, um, you know, some introductions in e-commerce, supply chain, B2B. She said, oh, very interesting. I have a, my boss at this other company. Now he's working for Cisco. You should go meet him. I think he'll be very interesting guy to, you know, he was a mid-level manager who did operations. So I met with him and he said, you know, you should meet my boss who's now at Quantum, who's doing some consulting work and seems like, you know, he could be helpful. Ah, so I okay. met Steve Eric at that point. He was a consultant there. And um, so we teamed up and he said, oh, well, I, I've been brought up. Oh, so he became your co-founder? No. Uh, oh, well, me, he came up. in very early. Okay. He helped us with um, ah, okay. getting the deal. Okay. But he said, oh, I've been brought, up, brought in to really evaluate vendors for this application we're trying to do. You know, that was at a time Quantum. at Quantum. Mm -hmm. they, we want to solve this problem with supply chain and, you know, not supply chain as much as the inventory visibility because we have all these distributors and we have Japan and, you know, manufacturers. We kind of want to figure out how to, um, because at that time, you know, every disk drive, every day there was 6% degradation in price. And Quantum was a huge disk drive manufacturer yes. at the time. So they said their problem was every day it's sitting on the shelf. It's 6% degradation in price. So how do we actually reduce? Even if we reduce a week less time, it's sitting on the desk. That's money saved. So what can you do? We said, well, inventory visibility using the in, you know internet, right? I mean, uh, you, you don't have to, you know, why don't we get all this data and we can crunch it. We can put some rules in there and... Um, so that's kind of our first – when I – anyway, it was a long thing where they said there's no way somebody would actually work with some no-name company. We want to work with I2. I think there was like eHitex at that point, which was a con conglomerate of all these companies together. I said, you know, just, just give me your Oracle data. I'm not asking you for anything. Just give me what you're trying to look for, and we'll come and show you. It's free for you, right? So we did a kick-ass alpha version of our product demo. And they said, wow, you know, we've never seen this level of detail from other vendors. Okay, fine. We'll give you an RFI. And this RFI was 50 pages. And RFI stands for? Request for Information. And uh, it was a 50-page document, which we really don't have a product yet. And, you know, we don't know what architecture we'll use. But we knew what architecture we would use in the future. So we wrote about, you know, 
we didn't say we're going to use this. That's what it's built on. You know, it's a Java base, it's a distributed database. And um, I brought in some of my friends who actually eventually became my employees to show them that we have a technical team and we have, you know, enough strength in the, the company. Um, eventually, we were awarded the contract. I see. And um, that whole process from the initial introduction for the person you met late at night, the event you were late to, to getting that award was about how long? Probably four months. Four months. Which, when you think about the sales cycle of a large company, it's actually not that unreasonable. Right. I mean, there are some interesting lessons to take away from this, and a big one is this persistence in networking right. when you're starting a company. Correct. And just going over and over. You, yeah. you had some goals each night. You're like, I'm going to meet at least two really interesting people, but it means you're talking to a lot more people. And you start to get tired because you had a long day, yeah. and then it's 7 o'clock, and then the event begins. Right. And then you go in, and at the same time, you have the follow-up meeting, and a lot of right. it is just shots on goal. Exactly. And you're weeding out. You're weeding out. And the more you do it, the more you get better at what you're looking for and what kind of people, what, what um, you know. So it's, it's – um, I got better at it. I, I got better with time on, you know, what I'm looking for and efficient about it because I was not there to socialize. I'm not there to – I was there for – So you got this deal. And did you? How long did it take you to deliver to Quantum? Um, we went live four months after we got the, the deal, probably about April, May. Okay. Time frame. And maybe talk about going from there. Just spend, uh, you know, just a short bit talking about how did you build the company from there. So, um, so when I got the deal, obviously I made a trip to my first angel investor, and I said, "Hey, here is the deal." Back to Ron John. Yeah. Okay. And he, Wrote hundred thousand dollars, and nice. I had out okay. of the two fifty, Quantum gave me hundred thousand dollars up front. So so suddenly you had two hundred thousand yeah. dollars in the bank in yeah. one. Yeah, which is probably equivalent of half a million to a million today with all the inflation yeah. and yeah. cost of living and everything that's gone up yeah. out here. No, it was uh, okay. it was great. I mean, you know, we had two hundred thousand dollars, and we would get another hundred and fifty within um you know within the four or five months. So okay. Um, so we had a goal, right, yeah. to get it done. Um, we worked day and night. We got a office space. Everything was lined up, you know, but we hadn't really committed. So we had the office space. We were subleasing from someone. We Next day we went in. We had the chairs and put it all together. And this is when everything had crashed out here. Everything had fallen apart in 01. Not yet. It oh. was January 01. Okay. So things were still hard. A little you know? shaky. So, okay. Yeah, so it was still – Just before that. Yeah, okay. just before that. So, okay. Um, so yes, we went live. You know, there there were things that we learned along the way. Okay. Um, uh, my first customer, the VP of operations at that point, was uh, Debbie Showquest, who eventually became my customer at Nvidia. She's now the CEO at Nvidia, and okay. she, you know, so these are the people who started helping us grow. But anyway, so um, after that, we went live, and this was about May timeframe, and then we, you know, we could go to other customers, and we lined up three other customers. We had Investors lined up. Um, that was still a boom time, you know, 01. And we had a um, lot of interest. And then 9-11 happened. And it was just... Everything changed. Everything changed. And I couldn't believe it. Actually, on on the day we were supposed to have two big investors who were coming in, they were going to write a check that month for $2 million. So... Um, we still went to work thinking somebody would show up. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we had three deals um, on the contract, you know, almost signed. So um, we everything changed. But, you know, at that point, we were about six employees. And uh, I went to the six employees and I said, look, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, you can bail you because I've got two months of money in the bank. Um, you can say this is not for me. But I don't know where you'd go because, you know, or we all stick together and might be power of all of us together. We can figure out, figure out a way. We it's, just might need to do it without salary. Without salary. But I, yeah. I even, I said, look, if you have personal issues, then don't do it. Right. I mean, I don't want to take on a burden of uh, um, convincing somebody. Yeah. So, it's what, so what happened? So did some of them buy in? All of them stuck. With okay. Me. And they said, you know what? Worst thing, we'll all go back to your dining room. Okay. 
And we have a few minutes before we have to go to break. Maybe just walk quickly through what happened. Yeah, so we didn't miss any payroll. We got some angel investors who said, hey, I'll come in. And anyway, we raised half a million dollars. We went through and we got customers after that. And we bootstrapped the company for first five years. And then um, we raised some money, which was $5.3 million uh, in 05, And then another uh, $13 million in 07. Okay. And where'd you get to with the company and what ended up happening? Did you end up selling the company? Yes. So we exited in 2013. Um, wow, that's a late long road. 12 yes. years. Yeah, because we went through two recessions. 01 recession took till 05 and 08 recession took about 010 um, to recover, 010, 011. Um, so both of them were very interesting learnings. Um, because you had more to lose in the 08 recession because we'd already raised some money. And, um, but we sold the company to E2Open. At that time, E2Open was a public company. And um, so it was, it was uh, good for everybody. Um, and How did you the, the, connect with them to sell the company? So, you know, at that point, uh, Oracle was one of our customers as well because Oracle doesn't have um, – they don't get the third-party vendor, but they needed the outsource manufacturing after they got Sun. And we went with E2Open head-to-head for this deal because E2Open was also a partner uh, with Oracle, but they chose us. And then I think Juniper was another deal that we won against E2Open. So So it was a competitor? It's a competitor. Okay. So they realized that this upstart was winning deals. Yeah. And then did they reach out to you or did you reach out to them? Or how did that um, M&A discussion get started? So it was, so it was, as you know, you know, it was very tense in the board where, you know, should we go M&A? Should we raise some more money and go to the next? And I really realized that this is the time to sell the company. And, you know, um, so I reached out to the CEO. Did you email? I did LinkedIn. You did LinkedIn. I did LinkedIn. I gave him my mobile number. Did you connect? What did you say? I said, hey, you know, uh, Mark, this is Indu. Uh, co-founder and, you know, I'm a founder and CEO of Cirrus. At this company that's been winning deals against you. Okay. <laughs> no, I just said yeah. this is my mobile number. No, but number. that's what's maybe in Exactly. Yeah. And I said, you know, John Shirley, John Shirley was a very big champion of ours at Oracle, and he was also a big fan of E2Open. And I said, hey, John, say some great things about you, and I would love to get crap coffee when you have time. And, of course, he gave me a call. How quickly? Very quickly. <laughs> like a day later? Yeah, day a day later. later. He, he said he's traveling. Enough that he wanted to be kind of cool about it. Yeah, okay. he said, he said, you know, hey, I'm traveling. I'll give you a call. Here's my cell phone number. Let's connect soon. Okay. And then, you know, he called. And we had a lot in common to talk about, about, hey, what happened at Oracle? Why did you think we lost the deal? Um, why do you think we lost the deal at Juniper? I said, yeah, I can share more. And we had like an hour conversation. Then we met. And uh, I said, you know, I think it's good that, if you want to buy Cirrus, I, and then we realize, you know, how the journey has been very similar, how our technology has been very similar, and I think there's a lot of compliment. It's and, interesting when you think about that, getting that dance started for M&A. Right, right. And um, he said, you know, he, he then they put an LOI together and um, the rest happened. <laughs> okay, great. What So we, we'll have to take a short break here on, in just a moment, but what advice would you have for people – that are going through the same process. I mean, or considering the same process, selling the company. Yeah, to I mean, you know, yesterday I was just talking to a couple of uh, uh, women CEOs forum. We were meeting up, but I said, just go reach out. You know, I think we always think about them as competitors. It's really competition. Because, you know, I think I learned it the hard way, too. I thought Oracle was my competitor, and we like, oh my God, you know, I mean, it's, it's a lot of it is like them versus us. Not really. They're going to, land up buying you if you know if it's the right um uh marriage so i really look at it as a competition sounds like don't be afraid don't be it's afraid. worth at least having the conversation the worst they're going to yeah. do is not return your call or not return your and, and linkedin is a very easy way non-intrusive way you to can reach make them just a, about anybody exactly you can send a friend request and it's always intriguing if they take the send friend request at least you get a friend you know uh indication that they're interested well, Indu, that's great advice. We need to take a short break. I'm Rob Conybeer, co-founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures, and I'll continue my conversation with Indu Navar of Zendota and Geekly after a commercial break. You're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111.
Welcome back to Launchpad on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host this week, Rob Conybeer. I'm a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures. I'm continuing my conversation this hour with Indu Navar. She's the co-founder of Geekly and Zendota, has a really interesting background in terms of almost like Forrest Gump with some of the companies that she has been with in Silicon Valley, starting with NASA when you came out here, but going all the way back, back to your childhood, where did you, you grew up in Bangalore, India, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And I think you mentioned something in the first half of the show about being a 10 year old and your dream was to start a company someday. Right. So maybe just set the scene. What was it like growing up in Bangalore for people listening right now that may have no idea what this, this city in Southern India Correct. is like. So um, growing up in Bangalore, I mean, good thing about Bangalore is, you know, you learn the language, right? English. And <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's kind of, it's easy to come over and, you know, um, and you get to know a lot of the Western things because it's English and you know, you know, the language. Um, growing up in, you know, I grew up in a fairly conservative, um, I would say, starting off with kind of the middle class, lower middle class. My parents are self-made people. My dad is an electrical engineer. My mom is a housewife with business. You know, my dad is an entrepreneur, started many companies. I was always watching him do things. And I was always fascinated with how happy he was every time he won a deal or did a, you know, did something. And what was, type of companies was he starting in India? Manufacturing. Okay. So he would do um, manufacturing. We, we had um, manufacturing uh, aluminum castings for fans and motors. He was an electrical engineer. And then he started a trucking company, milk distribution company. He, he, he would just, you know. So it sounds very entrepreneurial. He is. And would he take you to work with him? Oh, yeah. I mean, so you were 10 be, years old yeah. and he'd take you along. Oh, yeah. I mean, we would be all planes. night sometimes, you know, we have to get this aluminum furnace going and then you put all the casts and you have to figure out, you know, if they're good or not. I mean, we would be midnight, you know, we're like, sometimes it's night is what when would he have do. you doing? You're, you're 10 years old. You're at this busy operation. What would you do? I mean, all of us worked. We were four children. We're two brothers and a sister. Um, all four of us worked in the mornings. Uh, we had a milk distribution. That means the milk would come into a, in front of our house, and then there would be all the distributors would go in, and they would come back and give us a report on how much they sold, one liter, half liters, cash, coupons. So we would take account. Were you collecting the cash sometimes? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We would all you count to, it? Oh, yeah. We okay. were really had to be really good in math. That's okay. all my dad cared about. Okay. <laughs> like, you... So all four of you were in it with him. Oh, yeah. Starting these companies. Oh, yeah. In the morning, we all had to companies. get up and, you know, it doesn't matter. We were six years old taking, you know. How early account. would you get up? Um, I don't know, six, seven o'clock in the morning. So pretty early. Yeah. People okay. would come in and say, hey, can I give you an account of what I sold? And and then we would have a trucking company where it would actually, we would um, um, uh, sell sand to construction companies. And they have to come and give you account in the night about how many loads did they give, what kind of sand grade, which construction company, and, you know, give you money about, you know, what they collected or what we have to invoice. So we would we would all work. I mean, and then we would go to the manufacturing whenever there is casting going on. And it was kind of a family business. So you were a part of this all the time. So yeah. it, and, and as I understand it, then you went and you got your first degree, first yes. college degree yeah. in electrical engineering. Correct. In Bangalore? Yes. Okay. In, so uh, that was an interesting thing because, you know, um, in my family, there was no woman who was really educated. They would usually get married after high school. Wow. So, but growing up in seeing my parents do well through this, that was my biggest fear is, you know, I Can I succeed to... as a woman? Yeah. Mean, can or... I succeed? Or what do I have to do to not get into the marriage trap? and get into arranged marriage. So I would ask my dad, you know, what do I have to do? Did and, you ask him that literally? Oh yeah. oh, yeah, because I've never seen a role model of anybody. He's like, well, you know, if you have something else you're passionate about, then it's fine. But I was not a really great student, so I was like, I'd like to study. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, okay. he said, given that you don't, you don't, you're not such a great student and, you know, I don't see what you're passionate about, I don't see what else you could do, you know? You get married and <laughs> thanks, Dad. Yeah, you okay. get married and have yeah. a great life and have some kids and you know. I, then I realized, you know, if I follow my brother's path, might be that's a way. So that's when I started getting serious about studies, and I 
asked my dad, <laughs> what do I have to do if I have to go to engineering? He said, well, I'm not going to pay you, so you have to get full scholarship if you have to go into engineering. <laughs> so, which I did. And he said, well, it has did to be. Did you start studying harder? Is that part yes. of what happened? Yes. And I you started... discovered that you had more talent and intelligence yes. than you thought you did? Yes. I was. I, surpri <laughs> I surprised myself. Okay. I mean, I did. Okay. I mean, I was like, whoa, wait. Suddenly, I'm like topping my class. And this is good and it's fun. Yeah. Okay. It is fun okay. because now I have motivation. Okay. I mean, so, and what um, are you, about 15 Fifteen, about fifteen. Yeah. Okay, so it's not too late. It's not too late. You turned yeah. on the afterburner. Yeah, exactly. And then you got into uh, engineering, university. fully paid scholarship in Bangalore because that was the criteria my dad had: is electrical engineering only, and in Bangalore, and fully paid scholarship. That's the only way he's gonna send me to engineering school. Okay. And I did. And you went. I went, and then I started seeing my brothers come to the U.S. for the masters. And I said, hey, you know, that's actually kind of cool if I escape that route. And anyway, so short story, I I did the same thing. I told my dad, uh, what do I have to do to go to my master's? He said, well, first of all, you have to get into college. And, you know, he gave me some criteria. And he always keeps saying, might be, that's how he, you know, created this person in me. Is like he always kept giving me a gate which I would pass. And I probably, that kind of motivated me to you know, okay. become goal-oriented. So um, then you went to grad school. I went to grad school. And did you move to the U.S. just to do that? Yes. Wow. I, okay. I came to the U.S. to do my grad school. And, and then my, you ended up at NASA. Yes. So remember, this was so in— So you went from helping your dad run milk and sand companies <laughs> yeah. to I'm not a great student <laughs> yeah. to getting a full scholarship, graduate school, and NASA. Yes. And, and yeah, if you look through, yeah. And um, NASA, it was in 93 at that point. You know, um, if you remember, we were just coming out of war. And at that time, foreign students had a hard time getting um, jobs. But NASA, for some reason, hired me. Okay. <laughs> because they liked my... Did you my... just interview with them? Did yeah, they visit I, you know, it's, college it was like... And... It was like online, right? We had ba.jobs.offered, right? I mean, this was like- So you just was, applied online? Yeah, I applied online too. Okay. Um, and then they said, yeah, we, we're looking for somebody with motif, GUI builder experience. Ah, Because okay. this was a group called Aviation Safety Reporting Systems Group. Um, they had, um, at that point, they were collecting all the black box recorder data and building flight simulation because that was the time black box recorder data was always analyzed after the accident happened. So they said, why don't we actually analyze before so we can figure out pilot fatigue, you know, issues with... Oh, other uh, things, just like every everyday ordinary recordings. Exactly, and I think we As can actually... As opposed to the ones that end, you know, they're doing stuff, and then at the end they say, oh, crap. Yeah, and exactly. And end they, of recording. Yeah, they said okay. there's a wealth of information. Why are we not analyzing it? Okay. So that was so the they project. needed somebody with your skills. You were talking about your graphical user interface skills exactly. and these other things yeah. that you had built that yeah. happened to fit. Yeah, at that time, the motif GUI, you know, was the thing to do, and that was my master's research project and I did a whole GUI builder. Um, did you just happen to come across this or did somebody say no, you need to check BA, this out? No, it was BA.jobstore. No, I just came across it. Okay. And uh, they interviewed me and uh, they offered me a position because they needed very fast somebody to fulfill because they also did have Did you budget. start like a week later or a couple yeah, weeks later? Yeah, exactly. Holy cow. Yeah, it okay. is. Um, I think I even did it before I even did the graduation And this ceremony. is the NASA that's next to Google down in Mountain View, yeah, Moffett, Moffett Field. Yeah, Okay. And uh, it's called ASRS and um, Aviation Safety Reporting Systems Group. And, yeah, I worked there, and it was really interesting because they needed, you know, they needed somebody because um, they also have this budgeting cycle, and they needed to show this to the, you know, the team so that they can get their next cycle of budget. So there was, like, some time component here. So you were busy right away. I was busy right away. Was there a moment when you called your parents and said, you said was, you're going to work for NASA? This, Those this. were the times, remember, the phone was not very easy. It was like $3 to call your parents for a okay. minute, right? $3 a minute. So you just have to say, I got a job. Don't worry. I'm okay. I'm alive and breathing. Bye. <laughs> right? Oh, not even. By the way, it's NASA. Yeah. I know you have questions, but I can't. Okay. Yeah. It, it was really interesting because my brother was at Silicon Graphics at that point, And, you know, I just started, I think, midweek even, like Wednesday at NASA. And I was going to go meet my brother uh, in Palo Alto 
that weekend and he said my brother said yeah i met someone from nasa and they said they know you i'm like what i just started 3 days ago so it so happened like you know one of his circle of friends i'd met them the second day because they're part of the project so yes that's when reality hit me that wow nasa must be something really big to work on i i had no clue i mean you know i was just surviving so i have some questions for you about silicon graphics but before we get into that if you're just tuning in i'm rob cunnybeer and you're listening to launchpad on sirius xm 111 business radio powered by the wharton school i am here in the studio right now with indu navar a serial entrepreneur investor and strategic advisor to startups in the silicon valley bay area so silicon graphics also known as sgi in my view, when I came out to the Bay Area about 22 years ago, was this amazing aggregation of talent. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the diaspora that came out of SGI, you had people that went to Google, went to Apple, went to Cisco, went to some absolutely leading companies. What was, what was Silicon Graphics like at that time? And did you end up there? Yes, okay. I did. Um, after the NASA, my brother was at Silicon Graphics already, and you know he was doing some great things. He was inventor, very early inventor of graphic cards, and you know, um, so um, so it was always so Silicon Graphics was like I don't know the company to work for, and um, it was like the dream job everybody wants to count, uh, have because it was also still recession at that point. And, and it's crazy; it's this company that nobody today has heard of. Except in the I history it, books. It's really sad. You know? but, but you were describing it. Go ahead yeah. and keep so describing it. So it was it. like, you know, it was like the company to work for. But especially they did a lot of marketing too. You would have, you know, beer bashes on Fridays or you would get free movie tickets before anybody would actually, you know, it was available for public. You know, only Silicon Graphic employees could go to the amphitheater or the, you know, shoreline thing. Um, so there was a lot of marketing too. And, you know, we were young. We're like, oh gosh, you know. It's dream job. It's cool. It's great. It's a dream job. Um, yeah, so I was at NASA, and, it, you know, although I really liked the job, and I would go in and um, run the simulator, flight simulator, and collect all the black box recorder data, and then, you know, come in and analyze it. It's supposed to be a cool job, but it just, it was NASA. Every time I went in, they would go, which citizen are you? Oh, you're an Indian citizen. At that point, India was a non-favorite country to U.S. So they would always announce, oh, it's in the non-favorite country list. You need to be, you know, with a U.S. citizen before you enter this part of the NASA to run the... Because of the ITAR stuff, the, yeah, you know, the, yeah, the yeah, different yeah. So, regulations around space right, technology versus right, aerospace. Right. So okay. it was. Uh, so at that point, I decided that I'm going to go to Silicon Graphics. You know, like I said, sure. hey, I'm in the neighborhood. I'm it's in right next door because... SGI, I don't know if it was at the time, yes, but yes, a lot yes. of people don't realize that the Shoreline. buildings that SGI, Silicon Graphics, was in became Google. the Google building. Yes, exactly. And it's right next to NASA Correct. in the heart of Silicon Valley. Right. Okay. So, so your commute changed by about two blocks. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I still worked actually after uh, hours at NASA because they still wanted me to continue working. Um, so I had two jobs. I figured I'll save a lot of money this way. And so I worked in the evening. It's, it's kind of similar anyway. So it's I was an doing... entrepreneurial approach to yeah. career management. And I had some loans that I'd taken from my brother, so I needed to pay off. So I figured this is a b better way. So at Silicon Graphics, I started doing you know customer service first with the graphics cards. And then I moved on to, um, after a few months of doing that, uh, I became part of this program and process group, which was very neat because we would go in and interview um, the support organization, and at that time, you know, Silicon Graphics was doing so well, and you know, we had so many customers, and we needed to make sure customer service was top, um, top level. And then we would actually build uh, HTML. I mean, build web-based application before anybody knew what web-based. And was. you were saying HTML, so yeah, HTML, VRML, exactly, okay. and Perl, or whatever, like you know, scripting language to uh, database. I mean, we would do web-based applications as internal tools because we never bought third-party tools for uh, doing a lot of the program and process. And maybe talk for just a split second about who was the founder of SGI, Jim Silicon Clark. Graphics, Jim Clark. Okay, Jim Clark was the Silicon Graphics. Um, founder. Uh, at that time, uh, Ed McCracken was the CEO. This was in 94, 95. Um, and it was still, you know, a small company. I think it, we were about 1,500 people at that point. 
um, we would still get $1,000 watch or, you know, we would get like a nice um, Sony station for Christmas. You know, there was a lot of fun stuff at Silicon Graphics. It was definitely still the company to work for. And Jim Clark was this revered yes. founder at yes. the time of yeah. Silicon Graphics. And then what did he do next? So he went to Netscape. And he point. teamed up with Mark Andreessen, Mark right? Andreessen. And Famously. He, yeah, and, and, and then he took an IPO within the shortest amount of time. And then he started Navio. Um, you know, it was kind of what became Liberate Technologies. And my brother joined Navio. And it was like falling. It was to- almost like an Elon Musk at the time. Yes. You think about it. I was the about to famous say. famous serial entrepreneur. Touches, yeah. You touch it. Okay. And then, then he started Healthion. And obviously, I was like, I'm going to go to Healthion. Right. And you were uh, talking about Healthion before. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So I, after about two years, I went to Healthion. Okay. Followed Jim Clark. Yeah. Okay. And then how did you end up at WebMD? So um, actually, Healthion became WebMD. Okay. So Healthion. Um, Did they change the name, or was it acquired yeah. somehow? It was acquired. So actually, it started as Healthscape. So you wanted to do Netscape, Healthscape, but then we got sued because you know Healthscape was taken. So it changed to Healthion, and um, and WebMD. You know, Healthion was still. We were trying to break into this whole enterprise. You know, selling to companies about how do you manage your insurance process online. That was the whole Healthion's first product, and then we got you know, some insurance companies to work with us, and WebMD was another company that um, launched in a short amount of time, started getting a lot of buzz. And so Healthion bought WebMD and changed the name to WebMD because they were more of an internet company because Healthion started, um, when, we went to, when we first filed for IPO, we were classified as a healthcare category which wouldn't get the valuation we were looking for. Looking for a better multiple. Yeah, internet in- company valuation. So we had to withdraw, and then the whole WebMD merger happened, and then we were actually internet company when we went IPO in 1999. And then that brings us full circle back to when you were talking about getting Cirrus started with some of the things yes. that you were doing yes. at Healthion. Yes. So We've got about another five minutes here. What I would love to move to is what you're doing now with Zendota mm-hmm. and advice you have for entrepreneurs, given that your childhood dream in India was to start a company. You've done this. You've built different things. Now you have this consulting firm, as I understand it, called Zendota. Maybe just talk about Zendota briefly and advice that you have for entrepreneurs in general based on your career in startups. Um. I would say, you know, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And um, don't be afraid um, to go venture out because it's, it's, a, it's a very fulfilling journey. So as Zendota, you know, a um, few years after, you know, exiting the company and working with startups, and I realized um, my husband was uh, 18 years at Amazon and he and I teamed up. It was inbound, actually. You know, we started getting a lot of people asking us to be part of them and we were investing. So we started Zendota as an umbrella company where we invest, advise in startups and also some large companies, private equities, hedge funds. Really, you know, we work with hedge funds and private equities to know, to tell, you know, to look at technology landscape. So it all comes down to common denominator. It's innovative technology um, landscape. Like, so we are interested in what's happening in the technology and how do we actually help companies innovate um, and build it into a product from just being a technology company. Is what you're focused on. Yes. Okay. And a lot of ways, it's the experiences you've had with all these companies. It builds networks, people that are coming to you for advice, Correct. and then you get to work with companies that you want to work with Correct. and see a lot of different things. Right. And in some ways, it's a, it's similar to but different than, say, venture capital. Correct. Correct. I mean – I, you know, I've, I've I've struggled to call it a name or a category, so I've decided not to call it into a category. It's almost like a incubation model, not really, because you know I'm not investing, but really being hands on. So I believe that I bring in with experiences as what did I need as a CEO and founder? What are some of the things I wish I had people offered to me? Um, so that is the mental model I go with, and I say if I see an entrepreneur and CEO, I go. You know, this is where my experience is. I wish I had this. I wish I had somebody who is an advisor who is hands-on. And I always go and tell the founder and CEO, if I can take 20% of what you're working on, 
I feel like that's a success. So what is your top things that you're spending sleepless nights on? So let's talk about your sleepless nights. And if I can take something and I can get it done. So not this is the sleepless advice. night question. Yes. Okay. Yes. And it's, it's, is it common themes that you have from CEOs, the things that keep them up at night, or is it usually different? It's usually different based on the stage of the company. Um, and also it changes, you know, sometimes it's, it's kind of the, you know, organization stuff, or sometimes it's a customer stuff and how do you, so, um, so it's, I, I want to partner with the CEO where I move the needle. That's kind of, you know, what I want to do is I want to make a difference. Uh, and I really want to, uh, be part of the CEO where I can actually help them. And that's what I felt like I did not have. A lot of people were giving advice, but you know, again, I got more to-do list. I got more checklist, right? But I didn't know somebody would say, I will go to the meeting. I'll take care of it. I will, I will update you. And that's what you're doing. Yes. Okay. I so more of a partner than an advisor Correct. in those pieces. Correct. Correct. I'm active. I'm operation person. So we've got about a minute here for the younger Indu or Today's Indu coming out of coming out to say Silicon Valley for the first time. What piece of advice would you impart more than anything else, perhaps that you wish you did or you're glad you did? Uh, I would say don't be afraid to ask people, uh, but always go with something with a content. You know, I feel like I get a lot of people asking for things, but they don't have a content. They haven't done their homework. But do your homework. Be credible, but don't be afraid to ask for help after you've done your homework and be credible because you know, all you're going to hear is no, or somebody doesn't return your call at the most, but do your homework, be credible and always surprise people, you know, and go ask for help. But it sounds like do the work, but then dive in. Don't be afraid to do it. Yeah. Don't feel like it has to be perfect. Exactly. Jump in. Yes. Yes. Well, great. Well, that's fantastic advice. Uh, we need to wrap up here. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Uh, for people that are interested in Zendota, how's Zendota spelled? Where do they go? It's X-E-N-D-O-T-A, so Zendota.com. Okay. So you could just use the Google to yes. find it. And are you, do you have a Twitter handle? or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we do have Zendota, X-E-N-D-O-T-A. Okay. Great. Well, thanks again. Thank you. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.